Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, these are the words of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And I'll explain that in just a little bit. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Being set free from the law of sin and death uh, is an amazing truth that we have to live by. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 tells us very clearly, uh, for anybody who is struggling, for any any person who has been taught uh, something other than what the Bible says, if you have professed Jesus as Lord, if you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, the scripture emphatically declares that you have been set free from from the law of sin and death. You are free from it. You're not shackled to one law while you're introduced to another, the spirit in life. You're not shackled to one master while you are said to be, uh, to be commanded by another master. You are not joined, as we've seen all this imagery over the past several weeks and several months, we are not joined to a former husband while Jesus takes a new bride. It doesn't work this way. We are set free and we are joined to something new. And the beauty of this is that we can walk in that freedom. Now, do we walk in that freedom because of our own power, church? No, of course not. How do we walk in the freedom of newness of life? How do we walk according to the law of the Spirit and life? We walk according to that law because of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. 
This is why uh, the Apostle Peter tells us that you've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Yes, even you, Jerry, and make sure, Bettina, you remind him of that on a regular basis, right? Jerry came up to me this morning. He says, you're not, you're not going to believe this. I have not gone off at somebody at work all year. And my response was, it's only been three weeks, but hey, I want to just keep it up, man. Keep it up, right? But we don't, we don't have to do those things. Why? Why don't we have to do those things? Because we've been given everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So this truth that we've been set free from the law of sin and death is an amazing truth. Again, just for your records, just for your mind to rest at ease, it's Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 2 for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death make no mistake you are not shackled to that law any longer the next thing that is uh, that is true of us and it's it's just extremely humbling is that we have been called to this law of the spirit in life and that calling I I don't know about you but that calling is is a seriously humbling calling that we have been called to walk after the very spirit, spirit of God. So, what would the Spirit do? What would Jesus do? That's not only what we ought to do, that's what we can do. Amen? Amen. Do you understand that? This is, this is unbelievable because the church for too long has preached messages like, listen, this is just not able, you're not able to overcome this. You're going to fight this fight until you die. Listen, we still can sin. Did you know that? We still can sin, but as I've said thousands of times, we can sin. We don't have the permission to. We can sin. We don't have the permission to. And now what's really beautiful is we have the power not to, right? We have the power not to. We can look the devil in his eye and say no. We can look our temptation in the eye and say no. Amen? I love this truth. We have got, as Christians, we have got to stop living in bondage to what Jesus said you're free of. You see, the problem with living in bondage to what Jesus has declared us free of, it it shows, the problem is that it shows we don't walk by faith. See, if God declares a thing, it's true, amen? If he declares a thing, it's true. And he has declared that you are free from the law of, uh, of sin and death. Well, therefore, I'm free, I'm free. And listen, God is not a liar, so stop calling him one. God is not a liar, so don't live like he is one. He said you're free, so be free in this. But also understand that I'm with you in that walking after the Spirit is humbling. It's a staggering idea that we are called to model Jesus and to be just like him and to walk after him. It's just, it's just humbling. Okay, so we understand those two principles. I'm free from the law of sin and death. I'm given the ability to walk after the spirit in life because I'm under a new law. I'm under new ownership. This is beautiful. But this morning, what I want to share with you uh, from chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, are what I call two bookends of the Christian life, two bookends of gospel-centered living that serve to uh, provide for us peace on the one bookend and focus or vision on the second bookend, okay? They give us peace on the one bookend, this one side, and they give us focus on the other. Here's what the two bookends are. If you're a note taker, here's the two bookends. On this side, you have what chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, When I get to that part again, I want you to all say no like you actually mean it. There is therefore now 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is an amazingly beautiful idea. The second bookend is this, that God's plan, God's vision, and here's how most, most leaders define vision, a snapshot of a desired future. God's vision, God's, God's Polaroid for you for the future is glorification. How many of you know that? God is calling you to be glorified with him, and he is bringing you to this idea. So on the one bookend, we have no condemnation. But on the other bookend, this is chapter 8, verse 17, God is going to glorify us with Christ Jesus. This is the objective. This is the goal. The reason why these are so important is because this one affects how we live every day in our relationship to God. And the second bookend uh, affects how we live in our purpose for him. Okay? This one says, I'm secure in Jesus because there's no condemnation. And this one says, and yet in view of mercy, he's, he's called me to something. He, he's pointed me in a direction. Sarah and I bought these two, um, you, you guys know why you really buy bookends, right? So that your shelves don't look like, well, whatever. They don't look like a mess, okay? So you don't want your shelves falling down, you buy bookends. We bought two bookends for our daughters uh, for the books that are on top of their dresser. And here was the problem. We went and we, we found these bookends that would, would fit for them, um, which means they were pink and sparkly. Welcome to a dad's life, right? Okay, so it had an A on this side and a Z on this side, right? An A to Z, and so this was going to hold their books. But what we didn't think of, and maybe you haven't thought of this, so make sure you think of it when you go buy bookends, uh, is they have to be heavy enough to hold the books, don't they? They have to be heavy enough to hold the books. So we put these things up there, and basically the books are just like, right? And the A flies off and all this other stuff. Now, now, my daughter, Joe, right here, Hi. My daughter, Joe decided not too long ago to climb to the top of her dresser, okay? Um, you guys know this is a real thing, right? Um, and she used the drawers as the steps, uh, which meant something very bad, right? It meant the whole entire dresser came crashing down on her, right? So, so went the bookends, so went the humidifier, so went, she was safe. I went in like he-man and rescued her. It was awesome. I felt like there was some testosterone flowing at that point in my life, but, but still, I rescued her, but her bookends crashed. They broke. Her humidifier broke. There was water everywhere. It was unbelievable, but here's, here's the thing. Those bookends needed to hold the books, but they didn't, so it's good that they're junk now, plus they're pink and sparkly, so I'm good with them disappearing, right? right? But they need to be strong enough to hold those books upright. These two facts that we're talking about today, that there is no condemnation for those those who are in Christ Jesus and God's plan, his vision is your glorification, are absolutely strong enough to withhold the Christian life. They can hold you upright. They can hold you to stand firm and to be confident in your faith. They're not pink and sparkly. They are good. They are strong. I think God likes red or blue or something, right? They're, they're manly. Somehow they're manly, okay? So the point is they're strong enough and we have to make sure that we understand this, okay? So here's where this goes wrong for most Christians. It goes wrong for most Christians because we either forget that there is no condemnation for us, and what we do is as we're walking out the Christian life, here's what we're thinking. We're thinking one misstep, 
and God's done with me. How many of you have ever felt that inside of your life, in your relationship with God? You've said, man, here's the problem. I have a feeling like if I just screw this up, it's all she wrote. God's going to be done with me. Many of you have felt this. I know. Many of you have felt it. Many of you won't express that you felt that. But the truth is, it's not about you being a Christian or not being a Christian. It's about you not understanding or growing in the understanding that in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for his children. Isn't that a powerful thing? You don't have to face that judgment. So on one side, we have this great problem where we live in fear. We live in, uh, there's a a common statement in the church today that goes, uh, aren't you glad for second chances? God gave us a second chance. God didn't give you a second chance. He just redeemed you, right? If he would have given you a second chance, if he would have given me a second chance, you know what would have happened? I'd have screwed that up too right? He can give me a hundred chances. I'm going to botch them all. So what he did was he came to rescue me. Now, do I serve him? Do I honor him? Do I obey him? Of course, that's my call. In view of mercy, that's what I'm supposed to do. But I don't do that out of fear of misstepping and God hating me. I do it out of the knowledge that he so loved me. Isn't that powerful? So on one side, we have this, this problem with no condemnation or condemnation, And on the other side, we have a a group of Christians, a a great group of Christians, probably the the majority. I know I'm stepping out in a broad brushstroke here. But the far majority who say, I got baptized, I prayed a prayer, I gave my life to Jesus, and that's all that is needed. So don't you go telling me that I need to obey and I need to serve and I need to do this and I need to do that because you're getting into workspace faith. And you're trying to tell me that I got to earn my keep or I got to pay God back. And my response to that is, you are so clueless, you have never clearly read your Bible. That is just unbelievable. It's so manifestly wrong-headed that people don't get it, okay? They've just missed the point, okay? God has called us to something. Now, why do we obey him, church? Because of mercy. Because of mercy. That's it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In view of mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's the scripture say elsewhere? It says, hold fast, stand firm, endure to the end, run the race, fight the good fight. This is all what we're supposed to do. All of those, if you study them, all come within the context of faith, not in the context of earning something but in the context of faith. So we are to hold fast our faith. We're to stand firm in the faith that Jesus is Lord and he did what needed to be done. We're to hold fast in that his laws and his commands and his statutes are good and they're pleasing and they actually make our life better if we will trust him. That's what we're supposed to do. But see, without these bookends, our Christian life just looks like a messy bookshelf. We're still Christians. We're still on the right shelf, (laughs) right? We're we're still Christians. We're still on the right shelf. The problem is that we're sloppy. We're sloppy because we're either walking in condemnation when we shouldn't be, or we're not walking towards glorification when that's what God's call is. So let me confirm these points just a little bit uh, deeper in your mind that this, is, that this is true. We're not to walk in condemnation and we are to walk towards glorification. Romans 8.1, you clearly see it. There is therefore now no condemnation. But turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 18. 
No doubt you're familiar with this passage because you're familiar with John 3, 16, which everybody, of course, knows as a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you know that? You're awesome. Tim Tebow popularized it. Not Jesus. No, I'm just messing with you. Okay, so these, just remember this. Put this in your file folder in your brain. Jesus spoke these words. Jesus spoke these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How would we read that today? He would say, for my father so loved you, he gave you me. It's an amazing truth. Jesus spoke these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now verse 17. This is slightly less well known than verse 16. But here's what it says. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Did you know that when Jesus set foot on this planet, when he went into his full-time ministry uh, of of bringing about the end of the cross and, and resurrection and defeating death and all those things, do you know that he did not set foot on this planet to condemn you? It's really important to remember. He wasn't sent to condemn. Now, did he say some pretty hard words to people? Oh, yeah, he did. But make no mistake, if we take Jesus' words for what he says and what he means, all of those harsh words were to shape us, to mold us, to call us back to a right relationship with the Father. So he didn't come to judge the world, but instead he came to give the world life. Now look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. Do you know that that's the same root word? For condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it's the same word. It says that whosoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. Show of hands, how many of you believe in Jesus? Guess what? Romans 8, 1 is talking to you. It's your verse. Just as much as it is mine, just as much as it was Paul's, just as much as it was the church in Rome. It is your verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we get in Christ Jesus? Scripture tells us that we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart and we will be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and God gives you life from the dead. Isn't that an amazing truth? So John 3.16, Jesus himself communicates that we are not to be judged. Turn to John chapter 5. Again, Jesus' words. John chapter 5, verse 24. Here's what Jesus again says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What is that? That's past tense. Has eternal life. It's a fact. It'll happen the moment you believe. And does not come into judgment. Same word again. But has passed out of death into life. I I love this truth. That Jesus says when you believe in him, this is true. You've passed out of death into life. Not, Not 40 years from now. Not 60 years from now, not once you die and you go to heaven, you have passed from death to life. Now, I really, really, really wish that that applied to my physical body right now, right? (laughs) 
I told Sarah the other day, I'm like, I don't understand what is happening to me, but I can't get out of any chair without hurting all the time. It's like, it's, this is ridiculous. I'm like, I'm almost 40, right? And keep that in line, almost 40. I'm still holding on to my 30s here, okay? But I'm almost 40, and it's just unbelievably painful. But what is true of me, even though the physical things say otherwise, what is true of me is I've passed from death to life. I've passed from death to life. You want to know what our, uh, our number one problem is? Is that we often don't believe it. We allow the wind and the waves, we allow the pains of our body, we allow the circumstances of life to convince us something's not true. But Jesus said it's true. I passed from death to life. That's an amazing, amazing reality, right? So we've passed from death to life and we no longer stand in judgment. Clearly, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. You should walk with your head held high, understanding that your heavenly father sees you exactly how he chooses to see you. Through the lens of love, through the lens of kindness, through the lens of mercy, through the lens of his son, redeemed and bought with a price. Isn't that an amazing truth? If you don't live this way, trust me, it frustrates your Christian life. It will leave you confused, and I'll speak more to this in a practical sense at the end. Let's turn our attention now to glorification. Romans 8, 17 tells us that we are to be glorified with Christ, but I want to read it with you just so that you understand what the context is. Starting at verse 16 of Romans 8, he says, Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you know that if it was just left up to your mind to convince yourself that you were a child of God, you would lose that battle? Because Sunday you'd believe that you're a child of God and Monday you'd convince yourself you're not. But what is beautiful is you have a person in the court of your mind, in the courtroom of your mind, you have a person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, who testifies with you that you are a child of God. That's an amazing thing. I need that testimony. I need that testimony. So he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Look what it says. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I want to explain to you through the, the next series of passages what it means to suffer with Christ. Okay? It's not suffering by law keeping. It's not suffering by, by making sure you do all of these things in a perfect order so therefore you can be saved. Because why? This would contradict our salvation uh, message. The salvation message is that we're saved by grace through faith. It does not say we're saved, by we're saved by grace and some works that lead up and finally you're approved. But, by, but through faith. Now, don't miss the fact that faith without works is dead. Don't miss that. But that work comes from faith in view of mercy. It always starts with God. It always starts with him. So turn with me in your Bibles on this idea of glorification to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I'll set the context for each one of these passages. But John chapter 12, starting at verse 24. Let's go to 23. And Jesus answered them saying, 
the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What is Jesus' goal here? Glorification, right? He's going to die, and it is so that he might be glorified. What did Romans 8, 17 say? That we will be glorified with him, okay? So understand that the model of God, the plan of God, is that we would be glorified with the Son. It's always been his plan. It always will be his plan, okay? Here's the image that I'd love for you to get in your head. Do you know that the church is the bride of Christ? You know this, and you know that Jesus is going to be glorified. So where does his wife go? Next to him in glorification, right? Do you see the imagery that is painted throughout the Bible? We are glorified with him because we're his bride. We're one with him. It's an amazing idea, okay? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Translation, wherever I show up, that's what my servants will do. They will be with me. They will do what I do because that's what servants do. They're with their master, right? So he says, they will follow me. My servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is, uh, this is glorification language, okay? Glory and honor belong to God, and he's going to honor us with him. Verse 27, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? I'm not praying that. Jesus goes on. He says, but for this purpose, I came into this hour. Father, glorify your name. The very purpose of Jesus. You see, in Romans 7, it says, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. Jesus says, here's why I came into the world, to suffer for humanity's sake and to be glorified by my Father. The suffering spoken of in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, is the suffering that Jesus calls us to, and we're going to see it in Matthew here in a second, to take up our cross and follow after him. He's called us to lay down our life. See, this idea of the goal of glorification, the goal of holiness and righteousness and, and, and honoring God with our very behavior in view of mercy, this call is the entire story of the scripture. God has called us to be his people. So to, to write that out of the story and to believe you were just saved from something but not saved to something is just wrong. It's just wrong because Jesus says it over and over. Where I am, master, where I am, my followers will be with me. Where did Jesus go? The cross. Where did he go ultimately? To the Father. We will be in his presence one day, but there is a series of events that take place in our life. And one of those events is that we must die. So when we talk about our behavior, when we, I hear Christians say this all the time, can I be a Christian and still be this, sin A, right? Identification of sin here, over here. Can I be a Christian and be this? The question misses the entire point of the Bible. The question misses the entire point of the Bible. What you can be, and this is the only answer to the question, trust me, can I be a Christian and be anything other than what Jesus says I'm to be? The answer is no. <laughs> you can't. 
You can't. I don't care what your sin is. I don't, it doesn't matter. You can rank them. I can rank them. We can pick one that is the biggest and the most evil monster in the world today. Whatever. We can all do that. But here's the point. The point is we are to go where the master goes. And guess what? The master has no part in sin. He has no part in unrighteousness. He doesn't waver. He doesn't falter. He does not fail. And he's called us to the same exact thing. Now, what's really interesting about this particular uh, section is the context. The context of this cracks me up. In verse 20, it says that there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. So there was a Jewish feast, and there were Greek proselytes that were, they were converted Jews, and they were going to the festival, right? And they petitioned Jesus' disciples, and they say, hey, Philip, we want to have a meeting with Jesus, We want to have a meeting with Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew, tells him about it. Andrew goes, well, let's talk to Jesus. So they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, these Greeks, these Jewish Greeks, they want to follow you or they want to have a meeting with you. They want to come and meet you. This is how Jesus responds. I'm going to work at responding to people just like Jesus because it is confusing as the day is long. Okay, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Is that a yes? I'm I'm confused here, right? Picture yourself, Philip and Andrew. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Is that a guess? I'm lost here, Jesus. Verse 25, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. I give up. I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. And then Jesus drops this one on them. He says, all of that is true. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Those Greeks want to come and meet with me, they must follow me. But I want you to understand what I'm doing. I'm going to the cross. All are welcome. All are invited. All are invited to the glorification that Romans 8, 17 talks about. But guess what? It comes through death. It comes through being buried in the ground so that fruit might be produced. Jesus never is, uh, is off his game. He's always on it. So they say, can they come and meet you? And he goes, sure, but you have to understand the hour for which I'm in right now. I'm going to the cross. Jesus' own disciples asked this similar question. James and John, sons of thunder, big macho guys thinking they're cool. They, they get their mom to go talk to Jesus. Anyway, so they get their mom to go talk to Jesus, and they say, can we sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom to come? And Jesus says, can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? And what's their response? They go, yes. Like, I, I'm sorry. I'd be seeking clarification, right? Um, what do you mean by this cup, right? Jesus knows what he means. It's death. It's the cross. It's the wrath of God. They say yes. Jesus doesn't say, you bunch of idiots. Oh, I wanted to do that so bad. Jesus doesn't say it. He, he just looks at him and goes, oh, you're going to drink from the cup, all right. But then he says, sitting at my right hand and my left hand are my father's business, okay? You're going to drink from the cup. Why? Everyone who professes Jesus as Lord must undergo what? Death. You have to take up your cross. You have to die to yourself. This is the problem in the modern church movement today. We're not talking to people about dying to themselves. We're talking to people about managing their behavior to look a little bit more proper inside of the culture they live in. The answer is you got to die or you don't go. That's the answer. 
Nobody likes this story. Nobody likes it. And people go, oh, well, the reason we're preaching the same thing, we're just changing it a little to be more palatable for the culture. Jesus didn't change it at all. And most of those guys looked at him and went, is that a yes? I'm not sure what's happening here. Listen, Jesus was a better rhetorician than me, right? He knows how to speak. I love it. I'm going to go with his way, right? Turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Just so you know, I'm fired up today. We don't know where this is going to go. Matthew chapter 16. You think, Barney, you can be quiet now. I love that man dearly. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, verses 28 or 24 through 28. But let's set the context first. It happens in 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. What happens right after this? Peter rebukes the Lord of creation, right? He says, he says, no, this is a wrong thing to do. And Jesus says the greatest line ever, which I've told you before, I'm going to try someday in pastoral counseling, right? Get behind me, Satan. Anyway, so he says, get behind me, Satan. And, and Peter is just, he's convicted by this. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. This is verse 23. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Here's verse 24. And this is the beauty of the righteousness or the, um, the uh, glorification we're called to. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then, make sure you underline this in your Bible church because this applies to everybody, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. But Nathan, you just told me that there's no condemnation for me. I'm not talking about condemnation. See, God says just as much in the scripture that he will judge sinners and, and, and bring about condemnation as much as he says he will reward his followers crowns of life and, and, and glory that we don't comprehend, okay? God will judge all for those purposes. For those who don't believe in him, it will lead to condemnation. For those who are in him that have no condemnation, it is a weighing of our life a weighing of what we have done for the kingdom of God. It's the same as the story of the guy who has five talents, the guy who has two talents, and the guy who has one talent, okay? It's the same concept. And God says that he's going to uh, reward people for those things. Again, these are the words of Jesus. Verse 28, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. And that exact thing happened. See, Daniel 7 talks about the Son of Man ascending, not descending, ascending to the Ancient of Days. Because Daniel 7 speaks of the ascension of the Father, of the Son to the Father to pour out the Spirit of God on all flesh. This is why Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's come into his kingdom, church. Now, will he return, and will he create a new heavens and a new earth, and will he change that? Absolutely. 
Our view on the end is probably the most confusing thing in the world today, right? But what is amazing is Jesus began his reign in that moment. These people didn't even, some of these guys didn't even face death before Jesus went to be with the Father and ascended. It's just beautiful. He's king, by the way. He's king. I don't have to worry about it. He's king. But what he has called us to is glorification. And that glorification comes when God repays every man according to his deeds. He lifts us into this place of honor, which is amazing. Last scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. And we're going to go through 18. Here's what it says. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What makes the glory of God abound? His provision for all men. And more and more people are coming to faith in him. I love it. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but... Though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of what? Glory. Because that's God's plan. That's his vision. An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The two bookends of the Christian life are this, that we walk upright, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't worry about his view of me. He sees me rightly. He, has, he loves me so much that even though I can still sin, I don't have the permission to, but even though I can still sin, he has given me an amazing out. He says, confess your sins and I am faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. See, the idea is that we keep running back to our Father. But if you are a person who lives in condemnation in your relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you right now, because this is the devil's agenda, it will prevent you from running to the Father, won't it? He will tell you you're unworthy, you're a piece of trash, you should never look at God, you should never run to him, and God says, there's no condemnation for you. Come to me, love me, show me what you've got. I'll make it clean. Do you realize when we don't go back to the Father with our sin, we are repeating Adam's problem. We hide in the bushes. Well, where were you, Adam? Well, I knew that I was naked. Who told you you were naked? We all know now. We're very clear of our brokenness. We're very clear. If God says, how did you know you sinned? All I have to do is everybody on Facebook told me I did, right? I, I've fallen short, but here's the beauty. I'm still running back to you. Still running back to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But don't miss the other bookend. That God has called us to glorification. And there's one way to glorification. Suffering with him. Laying down your life. At every turn. At every turn. It is faith to say, I accept your word, Jesus, that you will save me. It is just as much faith to say, I'll do it your way. Because your way is higher. Your way is better. Your way is more right. So let me, let me end with this. I'll wrap it in this context. I'll wrap it in this context. You guys are all familiar with the prodigal son story, right? 
all familiar with the prodigal son story. This young boy, he's got an older brother. He, he asks for his uh, inheritance early, which, of course, according to many scholars, says that that's effectively saying, Dad, I don't need you or the relationship. I just want what comes to me. So it's effectively, I'd be happy if you were dead. It doesn't matter to me, right? So he gets his inheritance. He runs. It's one of my favorite stories. It's one of most people's favorite stories. He runs, and he finds himself in a mess, doesn't he? He's got a better plan, but it doesn't turn out to be that much better, does it? So he runs, and he uh, squanders his inheritance with wayward living, the scripture says. And he finds himself eating with the pigs. And for a Jew, that was unbelievable, okay? This is an abomination here. And so, so he's eating uh, with the pigs. And here's what happens to him. And this is so, uh, so important for your understanding of the gospel. What happens to this young man before he turns around? He remembers the goodness of his father. It's the same thing that happens to all of us before we turned around. The gospel, the goodness of the father was declared to us. This is why the scripture tells us, Romans 1.16, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This is also why the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. We have to hear. How can we hear unless someone preaches? And God has sent preachers. God has sent witnesses into the world to proclaim his good news. And what happens is the same thing for us that happened for that young man, and that is all of a sudden we have been told of the goodness of the Father. And that is what causes us to turn and run back to the Father. So this young boy, he begins the journey, and he goes back to the Father, and on his way back, he thinks in his mind, he says, well, here's how this all plays out. I'll be better off as a servant in my Father's house than I would be the king of my own world. So he runs back to his Father's house, I believe, with the intention of saying, I'll just be a servant. I'll just be a servant. But what happens? His father sees him far off, because he still had good vision at that point, apparently, and he ran off the porch, tackles his son, kisses him, and then what does he do? He puts a robe on his shoulders, sandals on his feet, a ring on his fingers, and he throws him a party. Not the party you're thinking of, you sinners. But anyway, so he, thro- so he, thro- he throws him a party, right? He, this is just an amazing, amazing thing. Now, I want you to think about that young boy, that young man, without these two bookends. He comes back, his father puts the robe on his shoulders, the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, throws him a party, and the boy goes, um, no, I, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, I am, I'm junk, you know what, I'm going to screw up tomorrow, when I do, you're just going to kick me out of the house. Of course, the son forgets he ran out of the house and didn't get kicked out of the house, right? So he lives in condemnation, he lives with this fear that the hammer's going to drop just tomorrow. Well... That doesn't happen in the story, does it? No. Robe, sandals, ring, and what happens? He goes into the party, and through implied understanding, through, through what we read uh, around the text, here's what we know. The party was hopping. The party was loud. It was fun, and it was so loud and so fun, and people were dancing that the older brother took notice of it. So he wasn't in there sitting in the corner going, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. No, he understood something. There is no condemnation for me. Not only is there no condemnation, there's glorification. He called me to something higher. He gave me my robe back. He gave me my sandals. He gave me a ring. This is true for you, church. This is true for you. I just don't know why we miss it. Well, maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's people's lies. Maybe it's too much uh, human religion or whatever it is. But I want you to rest assured of this. The Christian life is bookended 
bookended by two important things. One that gives you peace and one that gives you vision. The one that gives you peace is there's no condemnation for you. Stop walking in it. And the second one is God has called you to glorification. So let it be. Walk towards him. Honor him with your life. Just celebrate in him. Could you imagine if the son came back, all this fanfare was paid to him, and the next day he looked at his dad and he said, can I still live in this house and not do a word you say? Can you imagine that? It, you, you know why you can't imagine it? Because it's wrong-headed, <laughs> right? You're going, that's a, that's a stupid question. Well, guess what? That's what we ask all the time. Well, God, can't I love you and still be this kind of sinner? No. Why do you ask such stupid questions? And yes, church, there are stupid questions. I hear them all the time, okay? There are stupid questions. And the, and the stupid question is, can I be yours, Lord, and not go where you go? Can I be yours and not go to the cross? Can I be alive and not die first? The answer is no. Never has been yes. Doesn't matter what the preacher tells you. So today, I want you to rest in these two truths. Those of you who raised your hand, which is most of you, said, I'm a Christian. Good. No condemnation for you. No condemnation for you because you're in Christ Jesus. Second thing, God has called you to glorification. He's called you to holiness and righteousness. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.